Welcome to the San Antonio Baptist Association. You're listening to a Sabbath Teams podcast. Welcome to our Disciple Making Podcast. My name is Frank Jackson. I'm the Legacy Church Coordinator at San Antonio Baptist Association. Our intent in these podcasts is to hear from pastors on how to develop and sustain a disciple-making culture in your church. As we see the continued erosion of moral consciousness in our broken, flawed, and angry culture, and the challenges to churches recovering from the COVID pandemic, we realize that the traditional model of doing church is no longer relevant. And my hope is that these podcasts will provide a foundation and encouragement to you as pastors and leaders as you equip the family of faith to meet the challenges and opportunities that the Lord has placed before us. Our guest for this podcast is Shad Purcell. Shad is the pastor of Northeast Baptist Church. And for our listeners, I want to just share with you that for me, one of the impressive aspects about Shad is that as he leads his church, he leads his church to develop a disciple-making culture using a number of different platforms. Uh, For instance, he met with his leadership team to consider changing the metrics of how you evaluate ministry success from an attendance and giving-based model to an evangelistic, service-oriented, small-group disciple-making model. He led his deacons to uh, develop and consider an invitational relationship challenge quadrant to evaluate how effective the ministries were in connecting the family of faith with disciple-making. He uses YouTube video devotions to illustrate the challenge and the opportunities the Lord places before us in disciple-making. So, Shad, man, welcome to the podcast. Here's my question. You are the pastor, and you became a pastor of a very traditional church, mm-hmm. and you're doing all of this stuff that really pushes the envelope for how they perceive what ministry look like. So here's the question. How's this working out for you? <laughs> Thanks, Brother Frank. Yeah, thank you for that introduction. I am a longtime listener, first-time caller. And <laughs> it's so much, I'm so tempted to just, like, start with the criticism, but the criticism is so much easier of a starting place than, like, the curiosity. So it's like starting from the curiosity of how this is going for me, keep going back to Jesus' words, right? He's got his disciples around him. He's about to be ascending into heaven, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like all of that power right there. What are you going to do with it? You guys go make disciples. You know, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in the curiosity, okay, Jesus, you said those words a couple thousand years ago. What does that look like today, you know, in a a situation of a church that knew those words, knows those words so well, they're almost too familiar to, a, to put them into action in some ways. So the curiosity becomes, um, what will it look like if we are a church who recognizes all authority, heaven on earth, given to Jesus, and he's passing it on to us to use for the purpose of making disciples. So how it's going, it's going bumpy in a lot of ways, where I think it should be smooth here, um, and then some parts are just, you recognize God's starting something. So as you start it, we move, we move faithfully. So it is starting and it's starting well. And it's also started 2000 years ago. If I, if I have the, 
obedience to remember, okay, this didn't just start. This is a new movement. This isn't the new fad in church growth. Uh, this is the model that Jesus gave us. So where did you begin as you began with the church? I mean, I shared earlier what you were doing, and you had already started the process before yeah. you engaged your leadership and you engaged the deacons. So where did you begin mm -hmm. in actually leading the church? You mentioned we you know, measure the metrics, and we measure what matters most. So the beginning was, okay, look, what do we measure? Um, you know, we measure uh, pastor's office hours, and you know how often is the pastor sitting at his desk? Um, that can give you a lot of a critique or criticism in some ways. And especially, um, man, I had a I had a really just overbearing boss who would almost you know count the 90 seconds it would take me to go to the bathroom and clock in all the hours of, of commute and make sure you got to listen to a podcast on your commute and make sure you're using all your late night hours too. I mean, just that that overbearing boss was me. And so beyond the expectations of church members, going hey you got to be the super pastor. Here's our expectations. And we add up all those expectations and my own expectations on top of those. It's just an unending job. So starting with the measurable things like what's the pastor doing with his office hours? You know, springboard that into annual business meetings or, or I wish annual. You know, ours are, ours are every other month, sometimes monthly business meetings. And that can be a, a blessing. Like, you know, moderating those meetings can be an incredible clarity. Uh, in the midst of ambiguity or uncertainty. So those meetings are good uh, unless we're having the same discussions again and again. We're talking about the same context, the same situations in just a different month. Well, that means we're stuck. So starting a discipleship model, recognizing we're having the same conversations, which feels like we have a problem. Uh, is the problem budgets? I say, no, we don't have a budget problem. We have a discipleship problem. You know, to which the the minister of discipleship would get real scared, <laughs> thinking he's about to um, get called out. But no, it's not. It's not just a person. It's not just the event that happens on Sunday evenings at four. It's like we have a discipleship problem. So I said that loudly, repeatedly, uh, and I still didn't even know exactly what I meant. I just knew that it was true. <laughs> we don't have a baptism problem. We don't have a budget problem. Business meeting. It's not a matter of my office hours because I can always do more and I can never do enough. It's none of those, uh, and it's not the Sunday attendance thing. Because I was like, man, if we could just fill the room again, you know, just even some of our guys that that would visit that maybe have like a, a gift of, of visions, like a see visions. I've got a vision that this room is full. And it's like, yeah, I'll bite on that. Yeah, let's let's chase that vision. I'd love to see the room full again. Um, and even to the social media platforms, like social media popularity. So how many followers you have? How many people are sitting in your sanctuary on Sundays? All of that can be um, really dangerous because a pastor can start to get under this terrible wrong mindset of, if I can just get the crowds to like me, then I can tell the crowds about Jesus. So breaking all that down, that's just part, that's part of a description of a traditional church. And anyone that's been a part of a traditional church or leads a traditional church, you're going, yeah, 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 that's me, that's me on that one too. So the beginning was, okay, let's just recognize part of what's broken already. Well, first off, recognize and call it broken. You know, There's some things that are not healthy. So I'm thinking back to Hezekiah, Second Kings chapter 19, right? King Hezekiah, he's tearing down uh, all the pagan altars. Then he also breaks the bronze serpent, right? This is what Moses made. Moses, by God's dictation, say, hey, create this thing, tell the people to look at it, and then the snakes will quit biting. I mean, that, that fascinating, interesting, weird story. Hezekiah breaks the snake too because they were worshiping it. 
So growing up in a traditional church and now serving in a traditional church, when there's some bronze snakes things that we have need to stop worshiping and possibly the only way to quit worshiping, worshiping them is just let's break them. Okay, so, so you started with yourself that you had to reevaluate, okay, what does it mean to be pastor and begin this disciple-making model with yourself, and then you mm -hmm. began to communicate that to the church and break, breaking things, and I'm sure that was a challenge. But, but it appears that there's movement mm -hmm. forward. So how do you... What's your plan or prayer or whatever to sustain the movement focus, uh, the disciple-making focus, and avoid the drift? And, and here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. I've been involved with a number of pastors who had great vision to start a disciple-making movement, and they had these great plans. But as you see the process over three, six, 12 month period, uh, what started out with a great dream, then you find out that what the participants really did was what started out as a culture movement, unfortunately just became another program. Yeah. And so when the people finished the 12 week or 25 week study, they checked the block, they closed the book, and they were done. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, wait a minute, that's not disciple making, that's just another Bible study in the traditional model. So that's a drift. I mean, you had a plan and you kind of went away. So how, how do you see yourself and the leadership of the church sustaining the disciple making focus and avoid the drift? Yeah, that's going to be the, one of our biggest difficulties. And it's what I saw when I used to serve on staff at City Church. I led a marriage program. It's a 16-week marriage program. Number one question after couples finish the 16-week marriage program is, what's next? I need the next book. You know, Give me the curriculum to take me the next steps. And I'm like, just keep doing the stuff you learned in those 16, those 16 weeks. Learn how to forgive each other. Spend quality time together. Learn each other's leveling. All those. Do those again and again and again. Just on repeat. Keep doing this. So, yeah, moving forward... I'm recognizing that God gives us this, this this promise of all authority in heaven and on earth given to me, so go make disciples. God gives a vision to, to Abram, turn it Abraham, you know, look in the sky, you know, immeasurable, immeasurable family coming after you. And so when I'm trying to do the measurement, going, well, our sanctuary only seats 400, um, and we don't have enough parking lot for immeasurable. So getting to paint that picture again of, of let's go back to what Jesus said and just repeat those words again and again. I start every every church council meeting with just the reading of Jesus Christ saying all authority in heaven on earth given to me. Uh, unapologetically, this is where we start the meeting. You know, and if anything that in our business discussions differs from that and starts to delineate from making disciples, you know, call us back to this, call us back to this. Uh, through COVID, I think has been a blessing and it's, feels a little creepy to even say that you know out loud but the blessing for the church is breaking down some of the things we began to worship hitting a uh, we're going to restart from scratch in a lot of ways uh, we're in a rush to just get back to normal whatever normal was or the new normal i'm like no i want the new better and the new better is like let's start with small groups of disciples making disciples who get it 
a phrase like this in our church, we're doubling down on discipleship. I think that's a gambling term. I don't gamble, but it, it, it sounds like it sounds like we're totally re-upping our efforts on this. This is uh, we're not just trying to to get more people in the door on Sunday morning, even though that's a, that's an important part of who we are. That's not the end all be all. We're doubling down on that small group connection where they can connect, where people know each other's names, they know each other's struggles, they know, um, you know, who had a, a really good week last week or who celebrated a birthday. And then from that platform, we're speaking this great truth and have, you know, then from your, your, your quadrant of, of challenging and relationship invitation, if our relationship is really strong, man, now I finally feel like I've got the credibility to be able to kind of call you to the mat where you need to be called to the mat. Uh, or lift you up and encourage you where you need to be encouraged. You know, the sage on the stage can't do that to a group of people. He can't, he can, he can, you know, rightly speak the word of God and speak those challenges over a group of people, you know, but getting knee to knee with a, a brother or a sister, that's why we're doubling down on discipleship, that we're going to walk in this. And when, if you're going through a curriculum or study, when that study's done, it'll be all right, the end. Um, not friends with, with Frank anymore because we finished those 16 weeks. <laughs> We're out of that trench. No, no, we're still in this together. You know, this is this becomes, like Billy Graham famously said that that evangelism. I mean, salvation costs you nothing. Salvation's free, right? Free gift of salvation. Salvation will cost you nothing. Discipleship will cost you everything you have. So I'm saying we're doubling down on discipleship, and it's going to get messy. I hope it's messy because that would kind of show that it's actually working. There's are people that have been far from God are now getting close to God, and they're trying to give up all their past idols and breaking bronze snakes and all those things. It's going to get a little messy, but I think that means it's working. Yeah, but I, I heard a pastor say to me the other day, a pastor who's very focused in disciple-making, and, and I'm listening to what you said so I'm going to say what he said because I wrote it down. I thought it was very interesting and I had to reflect on it a little bit. Disciple making is not compatible with church growth. In other words, yeah. if our focus has always been on filling pews mm -hmm. and building buildings, discipleship is not going to get you there. Right. Discipleship may result in church growth because as you have people who are encouraging one another, loving one another, celebrating Jesus with one another as they celebrate themselves with one another. I mean, I, uh, one of the things, right. the challenges I see in discipleship, and I don't want to digress too much, is so much emphasis was put on accountability that it almost became check the block yes. when the guys who I see are the most successful in discipleship are focusing on first, like what you've already said, celebrating relationship, mm -hmm. celebrating relationship with one another, celebrating relationship with Jesus. But the way you mature in that is there are some spiritual disciplines Absolutely. that you have to be proficient in so that you can understand what you're celebrating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I appreciate that. So what do you think? Discipleship is not compatible with church growth. How does that what does that feel like when you put that on or what's the what do you think about that i was leading one of the brothers one of our deacons through the discipleship and he kind of felt shy to ask the question is it okay if i'm discipling someone who's not a member of our church <laughs> absolutely go get them you know this is the 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 big scheme church this is what god created around the world uh if it doesn't end up in a person in attendance in our church on Sunday morning who's giving or whatever, um, 
that's okay. You almost needed permission to know that it's okay to just see the people that God puts in your life. See who's a little hungry for this discipleship, whether church members or not. So you can't count that. Um, but God sees that. God honors that. And I'm just thinking about the thinking about Jesus, the parable of the talents in this way. You know, he gives one one worker ten talents, one five, and one gives one, and that one is buries that buries that one talent. He's fearful. You know, God's gonna God's gonna keep accountability of my gifts and hours, and so this goes back to me being my own worst boss. I mean, I got to use all my time, all my leverage for the kingdom. It's all got to measure up. Um, I want the people to know that they've got a hardworking pastor, and and that workaholism it gets contagious. And then you just breed this culture of that, and it really it really crowds out discipleship making moments because I said discipleship is messy it also takes a lot of time you know it's going to require minutes of oh no my phone rang it's one of the guys I'm discipling and I know he's going through a hard time I know this conversation is going to be 30 minutes and it's going to exhaust me so it's going to take an hour after that because I was exhausted <laughs> and I can't I can't show for that on my productivity chart I don't get a gold star as a pastor for hey Glad you had a 30-minute conversation with a guy who doesn't go to our church. <laughs> but I think Jesus was honored. Yeah, I hit, I, I, I answered the call. I hit accept. We prayed when we were done. Uh, it exhausted me, but it was worth it. And if I'm trying to do that under my own power, I'm going to fail. I'm going to, you know, burn out. But again, again go back to Jesus. It's all power in heaven and on earth given to me. And can I speak about that power for a second, even though it's not the question you asked? Uh, it's just what I heard Tony Evans say recently, so I'm going to quote Tony Evans. You know, he was talking about on, on the football field, you've got the offensive lineman. He's got power. You know, he can move a person. He can move a 300-pound defensive lineman off. You know, he's got power. There's a power. He can move you. He can knock you down. Someone else on that field has power. It's the guy with the, the black and white striped shirt with the whistle, you know, that referee. So he can call you out and kick you out of the game. He might be able, he can't knock you over or outrun you, but he can kick you out of the game. So when Jesus is talking about this power, power given to me, which power is it? The power of the offensive lineman who can squat a cow and knock you over? <laughs> or is it the power of a guy with a whistle that can call you out and even call you out of the game? And, and that power of the referee is what Christ has given us. This is a strong power. It's, a, it's stronger than just muscle. Is there's an authority behind it, and it's way beyond our own authority. Who gives the referee the authority? You know, he's not the biggest, strongest person on the field, so it's not the it's not the alpha dog. It's not survival of the fittest, but he was given that authority. You know, from on high. You know, whoever whoever the guy that gives the authority to the referees is, but we have that now from Christ. So with that kind of power, I don't have to walk around guilty all day if I didn't get all the boxes checked on the expectation list from the church. But if I know that he called me to make disciples and I, I, I helped a brother or helped a sister enjoy Jesus more, that's a win. That's a win-win. I'm going to keep going for those opportunities, those win-win moments. So, Thanks for letting me quote Tony Evans. I don't know what Leo's No, that's great. No. <laughs> Listen, this is wide open, man. So you began with personal inventory, spiritual inventory, and realize that, man, you're carrying around a bunch of guilt and blame and everything else, and then you say, wait a minute, if I link in and sink in with what Jesus, and I, I, 
I know you know Romans 8, 1 and 2. I love Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is now, no therefore, condemnation. no condemnation. And if, you know, I almost think that pastors ought to make that as a plaque. Absolutely. Put it right in front, you know, tape it to your bathroom mirror. Tape everywhere you look. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. Now, once we get that one, then, then what are we to do? Well, then what we do is what you kind of shared, which I thought was great. And I appreciate the fact that you put that before the church all the time, uh, the Great Commission, but you didn't start with go therefore, you started with all authority. Yeah. And I think that makes, all, you know, from my perspective, listen to what you say, that changes the whole dynamic of the verses. Mm -hmm. Instead of a going, well, here's the reason they're going. Yeah. You have, God's granted you the authority to go. Go in that authority. I think, man, that's a wise yeah. thing that you do, that you present that to the, to the leadership and to the church all the time to affirm for them, uh, hey, it's not you, is what God's doing. So that's, that's a, another thing I really thought was great. And that also, I appreciate what you said, that avoids the drift yeah. and it keeps the focus. Absolutely. Do you actually pull that quadrant out every once in a while to say, okay, how are we doing with invitation relationship yeah. and challenge? How are we doing elevating, mm -hmm. uh, getting to know one another and establish those small group relationships to love and encourage and point each other toward Jesus and then the challenge of yeah. implementing in your life. So how's that? Are you still? You get a lot of traction with that, that, are you really? that quadrant. That's been helpful, you know, from the deacon meeting to the, the group that I just started, a new discipleship group last week. Uh, I even was planning to pull that out with my family tonight because I, <laughs> I really, because I had this thought, my family falls into the high relation category. I mean, we're family. I hope we have a high relationship. But how often do I challenge them? Like, and we might be too, we're in the cozy, the cozy quadrant, you know? What if I challenged my family to be more faithful in memorizing scripture? Like each week, let's, what, we, what if we memorize the scripture together and kind of call that out on Thursday nights when we do our, we have a family Bible time every, every night, almost every night. And, and that's, that's good and it's cozy. It's not real challenging. Um, so that, that quadrant's been really helpful seeing where we're at in a family, as a church family, um, who are the people that are just doing stuff out of obligation or here's the expectation and they've taken on five roles and, um, and, and need to give up three <laughs> so they can really get about being about the one. The one thing Jesus, like you had one job, I give you one job, <laughs> go make disciples. And we neglect that because we sure get surrounded by all the other things. Some of the ones we feel guilty about, so we do them by guilt. Some of the ones, that seems like it'd be way more fun um, to do some things that really don't move the ball down the field as far as discipleship making goes very much. But we like them, so we do those first. Because again, discipleship making, disciple making, it's not, it's not easy, but it is good. And just for those who are listening, if you're interested in the... Um, the, the quadrants that uh, Shad and I have been talking about. If you'll just email us here at uh, San Antonio Baptist Association, um, you can email me directly, frankj at sanantoniobaptist.org. Uh, I will send you that quadrant and explain it to you because I think it's been very, very helpful in visualizing and considering different aspects of your ministry and how well your ministry is actually engaging people 
in building relationship and then engaging them and encouraging them to uh, develop some spiritual disciplines in their life. Okay, what would be a great word of encouragement that you would want to leave with pastors as they're looking at considering taking this leap? Because of what I appreciate about with you, you've been pretty honest about this is painful and there's bruises and maybe even some scars, but you know what? This is what it means to be obedient. So what would you want to, what's a great word you want to leave with someone today? So there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Right? Those, are, those are words I've been memorizing lately as I'm going through a group or memorizing scripture more together. And just the beauty and the power of God's word you know, being hidden in our heart, coming out at the right moments. God just keeps through discipleship and then now being challenged, because who challenged the pastor to memorize scripture, you know? But being in a discipleship group, well, now we have the relationship. Now we have the credibility to call each other to the mat if we need to. It's, and it's not out of obligation. Oh, we gotta memorize, we gotta memorize scripture, you know? Growing up Baptist, especially, and I grew up hyper-Baptist, if, if you can be that, um, almost arrogant Baptist, because man, what, we, what other denomination has, has competitions for, for Bible memory and Bible, the ability to get to a Bible passage faster than anyone else? Love my Bible drill roots. I mean, it, but you take a hyper-competitive guy, like most pastors have a level of competitiveness in them, and then you train up early, man, who can get to Mark 9 the fastest? And you go, got it. And, you know, we almost get arrogant in our, in our, our knowledge of Christ and knowledge of the Word. So we feel like we could walk into any room and just be ready to lead a Bible study. Um, but in this discipleship methods and models and memorizing Scripture, I realize I just can't walk in, you know. I can't fake it till you make it. I've got to... I can't just pretend I memorized Romans chapter eight. You know, this is gonna, this is taking some deeper, stronger, spirit-filled work. Reckoning it's not by my power. I can't memorize Romans eight by my own power. I can memorize the lyrics to hip-hop songs from the '80s, but that doesn't that doesn't count as much in the kingdom work as memorizing scripture. So asking God by Your Spirit, same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, give me that power to be able to know Your Word and then speak Your Word. So that's kind of been a strong word for me. Just again, there's now no condemnation. Because the, the, the maniacal dictator boss I work for, me, you know, he likes to condemn a lot. He likes to critique and criticize. And th think about what the church members would say if we were having, you know, you know I'm, I'm putting words, I'm, I'm creating arguments that weren't even happening. But if I can relax and rest and be restored and so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because I belong to him, I've got that joy and I'm super stingy if I keep that joy to myself. So I wanna share that with as many people as possible. Multiply that to the numbers of stars in the sky. Amen. Shad, man, thanks a lot for taking time out of your busy schedule to join with us oh, in this podcast. And, and I appreciate your wisdom, your insight. And uh, man, the Lord bless you today. Um, I appreciate your friendship, and you truly are a blessing and a source of encouragement to me. So, man, the Lord bless you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Sabbath Teams podcast. We look forward to continuing our conversation next time in hopes of better connecting, encouraging, and supporting churches for kingdom impact.